covered both of those things today, though. Covered both of those in an interview with Daniel Gallen, who writes for PenLife.com. He's a new beat writer for the Nittany Lions. Uh, before we were talking, you know, we were before we recorded, we were talking a little bit, and he told me that he used to cover the the Eagles. I told him I like the Eagles, and he said, "No, not that, not those Eagles, not your Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles." And I said, "Oh, well, well, whatever, same thing, I guess." Good interview with him. Learned a lot about Penn State. Talked about Ball State at Penn State. Mostly wanted to learn about, you know, the Nittany Lions. You know, there's some things about that team that I had my own thoughts on, roster wise, talent wise. And he kind of got me thinking some other things about some other players. Uh, you're going to learn all of that in the interview. Uh, especially my favorite player on that team is Jahan Dotson. I'm just going to get that out of the way right now. When, yeah, when Ball State heads over to Penn State in week, I believe it's week two of the season. I'm not looking right now. It's going to be really scary if number five goes off that's the guy i want to get out of the way get out of the way right now and say uh watch out for him and daniel agrees with me hardcore and so that made me happy to know that i am not a crazy person for thinking that because he's not a player i talk about too much so thank you again to daniel for his time make sure you head over to penlive.com check out his work he's at daniel jt gallon on twitter gallon with an e not an o but before we get into that, I just want to pull up this article over at CBS really quickly because I've seen it be shared around a little bit in the uh, in the woods of the Mac internet. And it's one where they were ranking the returning quarterbacks coming into college football's 2021 season, kind of breaking, it up, breaking them up into five tiers, tier one being the excellent ones, the list of select handful quarterbacks coming back which of these guys should be considered like obvious all-americans obvious heisman trophy candidates and it kind of goes on from there into tier five you know he's not ranking all the quarterbacks coming back there's just so many but he's listing enough to make this an interesting list and it goes down to tier five which is guys that are like you know you're around you've probably been around for three or four years uh, you still have some things that you got to prove about yourselves, but here we are talking about you. And some Mac guys are on this list with some a little bit of interesting locations on here. Quickly through tier one, we got Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, Dylan Gabriel, Grayson McCall, JT Daniels. Good, you know their names. We're going to get them out of the way. None of them are from the Mac. Tier two. Oh, and this is from. Uh, I should probably say the guy's name instead of just saying CBS, CBS, CBS. Ben Kerchak. Damn it. Ben Kerchival. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, sir. Uh, but he is the author. Yeah, the author of this. Tier 2, potential all-conference selections, few fringe Heisman contenders. Don't let that part get to your heads. Kent State fans seeing Dustin Crum over here at number 9 in that spot. Uh, he's behind guys like Derek King, Desmond Ritter, Corral, the Liberty guy, Brock Purdy, and one above Carson Strong over at Nevada. And to his credit, though, everybody, out of everybody in Tier 2, Crum has far and away the highest QB rating. Uh, he also has a touchdown-interception ratio of 6, 
Carson Strong, who is a spot behind him, is a little bit higher, 6.75. So by the time he's already put up 42 points, that's when he's throwing an interception by accident. Big whoop. But he also plays in the Mac East. A lot of these numbers are kind of hanging very heavily on last year's success, which was a reduced schedule against the Mac East. I mean, yeah. But still, Crum should be uh, considered one of the better quarterbacks nationally. Probably not one of the best. One of the better ones. Let's be careful with your wording. Uh, He still has some things that he needs to prove. He still needs to prove that he's, you know, a good enough athlete that can hold up in the NFL. Right now, he's proving that he can put up a ton of production in his division. But can he actually take a very noticeable step forward? instead of being a guy that's like a box score beauty all the time. Not to say that he isn't bad, not to say that he hasn't developed into this, not to say that he isn't deserving of, you know, national recognition, because he's worked really hard into this. You know, he wasn't Lewis's first pick for a quarterback when he took that job. He earned his spot. He's earning his playing time. He just has to continue to capitalize and get better. Tier 3 established starters across the entire FBS. A couple guys... On here, Drew Plitt is number six. Jarrett Dagey, I know he's not in the MAC anymore, but former Bowling Green guy, currently at West Virginia. He's at 12. And it's nice to see, you know, Drew Plitt on here, I guess. Uh, returning quarterback for Ball State. Obviously, one that is in the focus of this conversation that we have later on to talk about Ball State at Penn State. But Drew Plitt's on here. Uh, didn't have the greatest stats ever, but was, you know, didn't turn the ball over a ton. He was looking at this list. He has, I believe it's the second highest QBR in the tier three quarterbacks, which is pretty nice. Average yards per attempt was mm, 7.8. Not bad. First downs gained per attempt is at 39%. That's really, really good. So he keeps the ball moving. You know, he doesn't make too many mistakes. And that's why Ball State won it last year. And that's why you should expect Ball State to keep progressing downfield in 2021. And Tier 4 is players to keep an eye on. Guys who are primed for breakout seasons. We're going to see Caleb Ellaby down here at number 5. Obviously a young guy. You know, when he first started playing, it was towards the tail end of the season when he was a freshman. Last year he was finally, he was going to start regardless last year, but it was a shortened season against you know just the division the tougher division right he's got it harder than Dustin Crum but and he did really really well he was the most efficient quarterback in the league last year uh has the highest QBR in this tier as well you know but how much of it was I don't want to say beginner's luck but I'm going to say beginner's luck we're going to learn a lot of that we're going to see what it looks like you know to see LB in 12 games rather than just six so, but I'm excited for him. I think he's going to be someone that we think of much higher than we currently do right now. We as in a collective group of people around the country. I think he's awesome. And we get down to Tier 5, and that's where I'm going to transition into the conversation because in Tier 5, well, we don't see anybody from the MAC, but we see Sean Clifford, and he's the returning quarterback for Penn State. He's pretty good. I think he's okay. Uh, but, you know, he still has a lot that he needs to prove, especially in the passing game. But, you know, Penn State's gone through some changes last year. It wasn't easy for them to 
you know, be in sync to practice with their offense. Uh, Penn State was a team that went 0-4, went 0-5 actually, and then finished 4-0. So there's a lot that Penn State has to prove. There's a lot that Sean Clifford has to prove, especially as the quarterback for that team. With that said, let's just let's just jump right into it. Let's just transition right. In. All right, and I am here with Daniel Gallen, who covers Penn State on PennLive.com. First year covering the beat, uh, but he's he's no stranger to the team at all. He's no stranger to the state. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Alex. How are you? I'm doing well. And again, you know, I said it before we recorded, but I do appreciate your time, you know, joining me on this podcast to talk about, you know, Ball State at Penn State, which should be a really exciting matchup. Normally, you know, because Ball State, you know, won the MAC last year. And normally when that, that thing starts to happen, you know, Ball State gets or whatever MAC team gets all this excitement. And then they see all their seniors kind of graduate and leave. And then, you know, the Big Ten team is ready to kick their ass the very next year. This seems way more appetizing of a matchup, all things considered. Uh, before we even get into all this mess, you know, where is, you know, what's your pulse on on this team? You know, is this a Penn State team that, you know, should be in like the top 10, like we kind of expected Penn State to be in 2020 and all the other under other years under James Franklin? Or is this kind of like a like a different looking Penn State team? Yeah, I think there's a lot of optimism when you look at this year's Penn State team. When you look at what happened last year with the 0 and 5 start, uh, you know they rebounded to finish 4 and 5. But there were a lot of factors that went into it. Just like with kind of every team last year, Michael Parsons opted out. He's a future first round pick. You know he plays for the Cowboys now. Uh, Kirk Shiraka, the new offensive coordinator, didn't get spring ball to uh, install his offense. And then they had a couple of key injuries with Pat Fryer moved to tight end, running back Noah Kane, cornerback Tariq Castro Fields. Uh, and I think all of that just kind of snowballed a little bit when you look at it. You know, of course, every other team in the in college football dealt with some of the same things during the pandemic. Everyone deals with injuries, but for Penn State, things just kind of hit, I guess, a little bit differently or a little bit harder than maybe some of those other schools. Yeah, and like the pandemic year was, it just made the whole Big Ten look really weird and totally unexpected. Like Rutgers winning, you know, games early. Uh, I mean, Penn State starting, you know, over and then kind of flipping things around. Like you said, they went over five and then four and zero after that. You know, is it easy to assume? And is there any truth to saying that you know the pandemic had more to do with the zero and five and then their leadership or whatever they mustered up, you know, in the second half of the season has more to do with what we're going to be able to expect from this team in 2021. Yeah. I think that things also, when you look at last year, they kind of snowballed a little bit. You have that opening game against Indiana, which was a wild finish. Uh, Then the next week you have to turn around and play an Ohio state team that, played for the national championship and right there you're you're already 0 and 2 and so that's already a hole um and i think that you know they they caught maryland at the wrong time you know iowa nebraska it was just kind of i think a confluence of factors there um additionally james franklin has kind of talked about this a little bit too where he was separated from his family all of last year um i think his daughter has an has an immune disorder um, and so his family was in Florida uh, during the season. Yeah. 
Uh, he was up here the whole time and even they came up in the spring, but they were still living separately before they got vaccinated. And I think that that was something that, you know, it's like the human element. You can't really underrate uh, that when it comes to, to these types of things. So I think that there's kind of a, a variety of factors and, you know, what could have gone wrong did. Uh, and it you kind of saw it with that 0-5 start. Yeah, like when you consider the real life you know, stakes at play there, like your daughter's health, like, yeah, I mean, football is going to be incredibly secondary. Not to say that, you know, him and the rest of the coaching staff didn't care about the season or anything like that. But it does help explain, you know, why Penn State looked the way it did. It really did. Um, but looking forward, you know, turning the chapter to the next page, uh, we got 2021 to look forward to. We'll talk about the offense. We'll talk about the defense. Um, obviously, it's led by Sean Clifford as quarterback started the last couple of years, uh, is more of a dual threat than I realized. Uh, pretty confident runner, even up the middle. You know, how do you feel about Sean Clifford and his, you know, what he brings to the table in leading this team? Yeah, I mean, when you look at how this offense kind of shakes out and the talent that they have, Clifford is kind of the, the biggest question mark um, on this offense. Uh, Will Levis, who started a game last year and was the top backup, he transferred to Kentucky. Um, Micah Bowens, who was a freshman last year, he transferred to Oklahoma, which left Taquan Roberson, uh, who I think is entering his third year with the program, uh, and Christian Veyu, uh, a true freshman. Those were the only two backups they have. And obviously, Roberson uh, has never played meaningful college snaps. Veyu hasn't played meaningful snaps in a game since 2019 uh, because of covid um, so I think that there was some conversation about potentially bringing in some competition in the transfer portal uh, this offseason, but that never really came to fruition based off of, you know, kind of what was available there. So, um, you know, I think that it is interesting because Clifford is entering the year uh, as the starter. You know, he's the guy, um, but there is kind of a lot of questions, you know, of what you're going to get from Clifford. Um, and if he can kind of take that next step, um, you know, and additionally, uh, he turns 23 this summer. So he's definitely advanced, um, you know, in age. And so you kind of wonder how much more physical development is there. So I think that what you'll see from Clifford kind of depends on how he fits in this new offense under Mike Yersich. Uh, no matters, you know, no matter who's playing quarterback there, they're still going to have Jahan Dotson to throw to. And he is absolutely that dude on that offense, you know, what's it like for Penn state to have that kind of weapon who he's hard to bring down in a lot of ways, you know, one, he's incredibly strong. He's huge. He's got long legs, but if, you know, if there's like a foot and a half of separation between him and the cornerback, he's not easy to even like play flag football against. Yeah. I mean, having John Dotson, it really kind of, uh, it gives you more margin for error almost because he can make those tough catches. You've seen his highlight reel. If you just get him the ball quickly uh, in space, he can make something happen there. And I think that that's, that's really big. Um, you know, it'll be last year was kind of his breakout year. You know, he didn't necessarily have to come back this year, but he did. So it will be interesting to see how he fares as kind of the guy, as kind of what you said, that dude, when he's going to receive all of that attention. But I think when you look at the Penn State offense and you look at kind of the, the clear cut talent, and the clear-cut guys who are going to make things happen, I think that you have to start with Dotson on the outside. Uh, the defense, you know, I'm looking at Athlon's preview magazine. 
Uh, thankfully, this thing came out before Phil Steele because now I have something to read over. Um, you know, it's got some returning pieces over in the secondary and at linebacker, sure. But I'm looking at like the two deep and I'm counting six freshmen running with the ones and twos. Uh, I'm sure like the the extended year freshmen, like, you know, the third year redshirt freshman guys, they're probably somewhere in here too. Uh, I don't know if the 2020 signees are in this group. But overall, I mean, just based on that number alone, like there's a lot of youth on this defense. Uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or is that just Penn State's thing? Yeah, the defense is really interesting when you look at it on paper, where I think that they have all of the pieces they need for the puzzle. When you look at how they've recruited over the past couple of years and the guys that have developed in there. I think that all of the guys that they need are there. It's just a question of how those fit together and which guys are the ones that step up. You know, when you look at the defensive line, they have to replace both starting defensive ends and a starting defensive tackle in Antonio Shelton, who transferred to Florida. You look at the linebackers, they bring everyone back, but losing Micah Parsons last year, I think was that hurt them. You know, even though yeah. they knew over the summer, like whenever he made the announcement, they knew obviously you still kind of plan on that, you know, with all that preparation. So that hurt. Um, but I think, you know, they are very confident with some of these younger guys. I think, you know, in terms of a true freshman, uh, Kalen King, a cornerback from Detroit, uh, he was a four-star recruit, uh, you know, people that have been on the beat for a while said that they'd never heard James Franklin talk about a freshman uh, like he did uh, this spring uh, with mm-hmm. when King early enrolled. So You know, I think that they've recruited well there and there is talent. It's just kind of a question of, you know, those guys that are the the second year freshmen or the third year redshirt freshmen, you know, what kind of development they had during their time on campus. And I think that that kind of starts at the defensive ends uh, where you have Adisa Isaac um, and Nick Tarburton as two guys that could see a lot of time. And then they have a a temple transfer in Armold Ebiketti, who was really impressive. Um, so I think that during spring, so I think you look at kind of the, the youth the guys stepping in, I think that you kind of got to start at, all right, who's going to replace Jason Oway, a first round pick and Chaka Tony, uh, a seventh round pick on the outside. Yeah. I'm glad you said Kalen King and like, also like Jalen Reed, you know, another Detroit guy that should be, you know, another guy who's signed in the 2021 class from Detroit as well. Uh, I don't know if they're from the same high school. I can't, I don't know offhand. Um, but still like this is more of a comment than a question, I guess, but like that's, this is just goes to show like Franklin's like ability over time to like, you know, not just like, you know, have success on the field. Right. But to establish himself on the recruiting trail in big 10 country and like win over, you know, the players that should be going to Michigan state should be going to Michigan mm-hmm. uh, from Detroit. I mean, they should be going to Ohio state too, but instead they're still coming to Penn state. Not like they've never had Michigan kids before. But mm-hmm. still, like, those are important gets, and especially, like, if they step up right away, we're probably going to see that in, like, the early weeks of the season too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Kalen King and his twin brother, Kobe, uh, Kalen was a four-star corner, and Kobe was, I think, a three, maybe a high three-star linebacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they both went to Cast Tech. Um, so noted, you know, noted football uh, school that, you know, has right. turned out plenty of high-level guys. Um, both of them, the way that the coaching staff talked about the guys, it was that they both came in and they knew, um, you know, basically how to be college football players. And, you know, I think that obviously Kalen King got all the headlines. 
uh, Kobe King does have a chance to contribute uh, at linebacker um, because, you know, the, the three starters, the top line talent they have is, is good, but there's some depth questions and, you know, it only takes one injury for you to really get into that depth. So, yeah, I mean, I think that Franklin, the, you know, the class of 2018, uh, which had three five stars in it with Micah Parsons, Ricky Slade and Justin Shorter, obviously the latter two guys didn't work out uh, at Penn state, but this, you know, he's recruited well in this class of 2022 uh, that he's working on, I think has the chance to rival that class of 2018 as his best. And some of those guys are from this footprint. Uh, the, the transfer portal, clearly that's a huge, huge deal this year uh, moving forward, but like this year, especially uh, I'm just glossing over 24 uh, seven sports, their updates. Uh, looks like Penn State's lost a lot more than it's gained. Uh, does it feel like it's been hurting, though, or has it felt like, you know, even though it's lost more than it's gained, it's gaining more on the field that's important to them? I don't know. What's what's your read on the transfer portal for Penn State? Yeah, I think the focus is, has mostly been on the guys that have come in um, instead of the guys that have exited. Um, you know, they I mentioned Antonio Shelton, uh, the defensive tackle. Um, who left, you know, that's obviously losing a starter hurts, but, um, you know, and losing Will Levis, Micah Bowens, that's tough on the quarterback room. But, you know, I think the one thing that Penn State really had going for it is that at the end of spring football, you saw some programs, I think Michigan State was definitely a notable one in the Big Ten, where you just saw kind of the mass exodus of guys who went into the portal. Um, And that never happened at Penn State after spring football. Uh, They lost a freshman cornerback who didn't play last year and a backup specialist, Um, you know, after spring football, those are two of the most notable guys that left. Um, And then you contrast that with the guys that came in. Um, I mentioned Arnold Evichetti from Temple. Uh, You know, he'll be maybe the number three defensive end. He could start Uh, Duke transfer. Derek Tangelo will play at defensive tackle. He'll be in the rotation. Um, And then you look at uh, at corner, Johnny Dixon from South Carolina. Uh, there's a chance that that he could step into a starting role or be kind of very high up in that corner rotation. Um, Eric Wilson from Harvard. He's another body for the interior offensive line where they have to replace two starters. Um, and then you look at John Lovett, uh, the running back transfer from Baylor. You know, the running back room has five guys that have you know, kind of extensive D1 experience or starting experience uh, and including love it. And that really just kind of ups the ups the game, um, you know, for that group. And, you know, there's a chance that love it could be their leading rusher or, you know, he could be a, a great supplemental addition. So I think you look at the transfer portal and I think that Penn State really did come out, I think, OK, overall, um, you know, when you look at where guys came in, where guys left and and kind of contrasting all of that together. Uh, looking forward to week two, we got Ball State at Penn State, 3.30 kick. It's going to be on Fox Sports 1. Uh, all-time Penn State's record against the MAC is 27-3. and three. Uh, I'm going to give you two of the teams that, that, have, uh, that have beaten Penn State. Uh, Ohio, they won once. Buffalo, they won once. Uh, pop quiz, though, who's the only team that <laughs> – that Penn State has a losing record to in the MAC. Oh man! They lost um, to this team once and said, "We're never going to see you again." Do, do I get the year, or do you have the year? I'll tell um, you the year is two thousand. Two thousand. 
the only the first two schools that just popped into my head were either Miami or Bowling Green. Oh, you're close. Across the street from Bowling Green is Toledo. Ah. Oh. 0-1 against Toledo. That's a matchup that I feel like should just come back. Toledo is a team that I want, like, you know, to see every, you know, see them play against every Big Ten team, like, again, in my lifetime. Uh, <laughs> but Penn State, yeah, that's – this has got this has got to be a matchup that happens again sometime soon. Yeah, they got to get it back up to 500. Absolutely. <laughs> I was uh, a big Matt Campbell guy. No. You should be. I mean, every it sounds it seems like everybody is a Matt Campbell guy. Oh yeah. Uh, but Ball State's coming off the heels of a 2020 nat, uh, national MAC championship. Uh, long build up. A lot of the super seniors, 16 of them to be exact, are coming back, including a bunch of grad transfers that came in, helped Ball State pull off the season that it did and win the title. And then they're bringing back, you know, even more transfers that are coming in over this year. Should Penn State be worried about Ball State? I know they're not going to be sleeping on these guys because they're going to be coached smarter than that. But is there a reason for Penn State to feel like they're on upset alert? Yeah, so it's a really interesting matchup, even just beyond the, you know, the on-field mechanics of what Ball State has, who they're bringing back. Uh, You know, in the past, these early season games against – you know, these early season non-conference games, whether whether it's against MAC teams or non-MAC teams, like Penn State's last non-conference home opener, they put 79 on Idaho, uh, and they've beaten Kent State, Akron, Georgia State really easily in the non-conference recently. So I think when you kind of just look at the schedule in the vacuum and you see, oh, that MAC team in week two for the home opener, um, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, the casual fan might see that. Um, but then when you kind of slot it in there, you've got week one at Wisconsin and week three, you're hosting Auburn uh, in prime time. I think that it kind of creates that, you know, that sandwich kind of. Where, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like you're right in there. Um, so I think that that could be interesting. But I think the one thing that I think will help avoid that for Penn State is this is the home opener. This is the first time that people have been in Beaver Stadium since 2019 they announced two weeks ago that they're going back to full capacity mm-hmm. so they're going to try to get 107,000 people in there so i think the atmosphere is going to be back you know all indications have pretty much been that it will be a normal game day like it was pre-pandemic with the tailgating with all the fanfare and that so i think that kind of the the novelty of that coming back i think will kind of help create you know make it feel like a big game atmosphere um you know even if the casual college student that's going in you know doesn't necessarily realize that ball state won the mac last year and ball state has everyone back um so it's it's really interesting to me from that perspective you know when you get kind of down to that i guess almost the human element Mm -hmm. um of it beyond the you know x's and o's I think another, uh, maybe this is an important human element part to it. Uh, We can talk who's talented, who's not talented, who can scheme better and who's got better fits to set in the other. Uh, But, and I kind of referenced this earlier, but it seems like Ball State's just going to have 22 guys on the field that are older than Penn State's 22 guys on the field. And I wonder at some point, when is that going to matter? Is this kind of a thought that that you might've had or... Do you think that that might be an important factor when this all plays out? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that when you kind of look at the fact that also all of those Ball State guys, you know, they played a MAC championship game. They, you know, they went through the whole season, and it was it was a very cohesive season. So, you know, whatever you want to say about momentum, whether it exists or not, there's at least the chemistry, um, you know, that that kind of core made. Whereas with Penn State, you know, Penn State, I think was the only Big Ten team or maybe one of the few Big Ten teams that played its full schedule last year. So they got, you know, from week one through that ninth Champions Week game or whatever they called it, um, you know, with no stoppages or anything. So they were able to kind of build that. And, you know, they closed the game with a four-game win streak. You know, Rutgers, Michigan State, Illinois were some of those wins. So, you know, maybe you don't want to give too much weight to that. Um, but Penn State definitely ended in a, um, you know, better spot that they better they ended at a better spot that they began in. But at the same time, they had the opportunity to play in a bowl game, and they were kind of like, you know, they they passed on that chance, yeah. um, you know, based on kind of how the season went and everything. So, you know, I do think that that is also another element. But I think that maybe if it was a week one game, um, you know, that might factor in a little bit more. But because it's week two. And Penn State is going to Wisconsin, which is a tough place to play a Big Ten rival. You know, they're kind of just going baptism by fire, you know, back into things. So I think that that kind of, you know, will, you know, wake them up, I guess, for mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, um, you know, when, when you factor that in. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much for your time today. Is there anything else that we need to know about uh, Penn State before we head out of here? No, I mean, I think that it's an, it's an interesting team uh, in a bit of transition. Uh, I'm, I mentioned him just kind of in passing, but they do have a new offensive coordinator in Mike Yersich, uh, who was at Texas last year, was at Ohio State the year before, spent a lot of time as Mike Gundy's right-hand man at Oklahoma State. So I think there are some really high hopes uh, for that Penn State offense this year, and that's kind of the, the more intriguing um, – you know, part of things when you go into the season and when you factor in kind of this matchup specifically week two, are they still working through some kinks? Um, have they really hit the ground running? Um, I think that that'll be a subplot after you kind of get through that, that week one uh, game at Wisconsin and you can kind of sit back uh, and evaluate kind of how that went. Um, I think that'll be an interesting thing to, to factor into, but you know, I think that was kind of the, that was maybe the, the only other thing, um, you know, I wanted to mention, but I think we uh, I think we covered things pretty well. Daniel Gallen, penlive.com at Daniel J T Gallen, G A L L E N, uh, not the milk gallon <laughs> on Twitter. Daniel, thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks for having me, Alex. And boom goes the dynamite. And thank you for listening to another episode of Alvarado on Maxion. Thank you, Daniel Gallen, for your time. If you haven't already, make sure you rate, review, and follow the show anywhere possible. Head over to MacFootballBlog.com on your downtime. Check out Patreon.com slash Alvarado on Maction to keep the show going and growing for just $3 a month. Again, I'm Alex Alvarado. And, and boom goes the dynamite. <laughs>